What is up? It is the Regulators Podcast. We are pouring heavy today. It is the trade deadline. It has passed. A lot of exciting things going on. We are halfway through the season, right about heading into week nine here. Hope you guys had a good Halloween. Hope you uh, cashed out well on your bets and everything. But we've got a lot of exciting things to get into. So let me adjust this mic. Jesus, this is this is all fucked up. But is that better? Is that better? Can you hear me? Sorry if I'm now shouting in your fucking ear. But we should be good to go. So let's first talk about the teams that will not be playing this week. Wah, wah. Uh, the teams that are on bye weeks. So you've got San Francisco. 49ers are going to enjoy the bye and they will be doing so knowing that, yeah, I think we made a pretty good move for Christian McCaffrey. So last week, CMC, of course, as you know, triple threat, had a rushing, receiving, and a passing touchdown. I think that he is going to be huge for them. Obviously, we know that the team can only go as far as Jimmy G can take them, but we've seen Jimmy G take them to a Super Bowl. So that being said, let's see how the West shakes out. They're going to take the week off and see where they come up after the bye. Also on the bye this week is the Cleveland Browns. Now, the Browns are an interesting team for me right now. So they have two passing touchdowns not caught by Amari Cooper. And, you know, Cooper for a fifth-round pick is looking like a steal for Cleveland right now. He had five catches last week for 131 yards and one touchdown in that division win over the Bengals. And listen, the Browns D, they showed out. They jumped out to a 25 to nothing start over Cincinnati. Like, no problem. And then they kept the Bengals under 100 yards through the first three quarters. The best part was that even in the fourth quarter, the Browns are up by 19 points and the Browns are still airing it out because you just never trust a lead on Joe Burrow. Three touchdowns. In the fourth quarter, like, yeah, it could happen. We saw what happened with Miami-Baltimore earlier this season with a four-touchdown deficit. So good for the Browns to stay on the gas pedal and get it done. Um, do you guys know that Cleveland is the number six offense in the NFL? With Jacoby Brissett, who, you know, we we give him his shit because he earns it a lot. Um, but, you know, we'll give him his due when he earns it as well. He played well. This past Monday night, and, you know, he is at the helm of the number six offense in football. Now, of course, a lot of that rides on the back of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But good for the Browns. I mean, if they can somehow get to a 500 record and start pushing in the right direction before Deshaun Watson comes back, this could be a very interesting team, even if they do not end up making a late season playoff push they could definitely fuck up the story for a lot of people as far as their season so that'll be something to watch but they're on the bye this week as are the Dallas Cowboys so the Cowboys were expected to beat off beat the brakes off the Bears like that was that was the MO going in like we knew what it was going to be and they did not disappoint 49 to 29 win over Chicago no Zeke Elliott no problem. 
Tony Pollard does exactly what we think Tony Pollard is going to do when Zeke is not in the picture. 14 carries, 141 yards, and three fucking touchdowns. Count them. Dalton Schultz, six catches for 74 yards. I mean, listen, he can be such a weapon when he's healthy, but I think he's averaging like one fantasy point per game. It's really, really difficult with him trying to stay on the field. Obviously, the inconsistencies with the quarterback uh, position was also an issue. But Dak's back. If Schultz can stay healthy, stay on the field, he could be an asset for them as well. But they get the win. That's what's important heading into the bye. Another team that picked up a W on the way to the bye is the Denver Broncos. So the high knees on the plane must have worked because the Broncos beat the Jags in London and... A member of the Broncos cheerleader team was quoted as saying that it was really nice to see England and to be somewhere that Big Ben doesn't creep everyone out. So congrats to them. They come home across the pond with that W. Latavius Murray got in the end zone, and I truly believe that he will continue to be a bigger part of what they do in Denver. Your leading receiver was tight end Greg Dulcich, which I picked up weeks ago. Um, as soon as he got on the scene, you just saw what was up. 87 yards last week, and he's getting his red zone targets. So I think that's somebody that you definitely want to roster, especially depending on how deep your league is. But um, this is a guy who's borderline you know, starter uh, as far as a tight end. Of course, he's not a Travis Kelsey. He's not a Mark Andrews. But guess what? There's two teams in your league that have those guys. So if not... You're kind of looking around for tight ends, and I think Greg Dulcich is definitely someone you should have on your team. So, Denver's defense has only allowed four passing touchdowns all year, which is obviously number one in the NFL. And I think their defense got a little bit worse, obviously, with the trade situation, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But the defense is there, man. The defense has absolutely been there, at least to date, and it's just so incredulous to stare at this team that's led by Russell Wilson and think, why aren't you good? Why can you not win football games with a defense that's that good with weapons like Russell Wilson and Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton and you know even Melvin Gordon? I know he's had his fumbling issues and things like that, but I... I think that the rest of the season for the Denver Broncos will be very interesting to watch from a lot of perspectives because you, you brought Russ. You can't back out now. Like, Russ is here. So you got to somehow figure out how to make that work. Um, and I don't know if trading away you, your best piece on defense is, is really how you're going to start it. But that's another discussion. So... Also on by this week is the New York Giants, and they dropped one to Seattle this past weekend. Daniel Jones was not good. 17 of 31, 176 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He was sacked five times. And again, it's just that, yeah, there are games that we will see out of Daniel Jones where he will have 100 yards rushing, and he will do things with his legs, and he will do just enough passing the ball but then we have all the other in-between games. He's not consistently good, and I've long since said that I think the Daniel Jones experiment has been over for a long time. I don't 
by the whole offseason, we're going to surround Daniel Jones because we never have. We've never set him up properly. And I'm not even completely disputing the fact of what they're saying. I'm just saying that I'd, I don't think he is the answer, especially in New York. So defensively, you know, the Giants only gave up 277 points, you know, but the Giants offense gave it away too much. And that was the deciding factor. Listen, I know there's some people going, what are you talking about? Like the Giants have been amazing this season. They're winning games. They are winning games. I, I won't fault that. But remember what happened to the Steelers last year that I think it was last year or the year before, but they started out to that like 10-0 and run and they were doing really amazing and then they just completely shit the bed and couldn't do anything and people said, oh, they were playing garbage teams or they were playing in situations, whatever. I mean, they just got beat by the Seahawks, which no shade to the Seahawks. The Seahawks are playing well under Geno, but quarterback play has to be better and uh they didn't get it last week out of uh daniel jones so they'll take the bye you know they'll regroup and they'll see uh what they can do after that also saquon barkley was held to 2.6 yards per carry last week that's obviously when you become one-dimensional and you can take away somebody's best weapon then it's going to be really hard for that team to win additionally of course, we know by now Kadarius Tony jettisoned to the Kansas City Chiefs for a conditional third and a sixth. Former first rounder from last year, he couldn't stay on the field. Um, it was just crazy because I was so hyped for this kid coming out of college, and I thought he was going to bring something next level to the Giants. Obviously, it didn't come to fruition, so we will see where he fits in with that ridiculous room of wide receivers that they have over in Kansas City and see where he can find a place for himself. Now, last team that we have on by this week is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Kenny Pickett last week, 191 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. He's a rookie, so I'm not I'm not bashing Kenny Pickett. Kenny's going to do what he's going to do as a rookie. He's out there, he's learning, but obviously it's not winning football right now, okay? Najee Harris, only 32 yards, and this is not anything new. Najee is like second or third worst as far as yards per carry in all of the qualified running backs in the NFL right now. Jalen Warren actually averaged over eight yards per carry, and there was talk earlier in the season like, this kid might be pretty good. Maybe they should give him more touches. So that could be something that happens moving forward. Freermuth, everybody loves the Muth. He was the leading wide receiver. Um, Deontay Johnson is third in the NFL in targets and yet has only passed 60 yards only once, which is very frustrating. Now, obviously, with the trade that just happened, which we'll talk about in a second, that may free some things up. But to be third in the NFL in targets, to have more balls flying towards your face than Mia Khalifa, like... There is no way that you should only have passed 60 yards one time this season. So it's a very weird anomaly. I track a lot of stats. I track a lot of information. And I look at the correlations between things like it's very odd. It's very odd to be that high ranked in targets and to not be getting the yards, not be getting the touchdowns, um, etc. So. It's time to start settling, setting things up for next year. 
Like, and obviously the Steelers, I, you know, was ready to do this podcast before the trade deadline. And obviously the Steelers are seeing things the same exact way that I do based on the moves uh, that they made on Tuesday. So obviously we know that Halloween ended this past week and, you know, I'm still in a little bit of a Stranger Things feel. And so the theme of this week's show is friends don't lie. Okay, so we're going to discuss a lot of truths on this episode, a lot of things that, you know, maybe we don't want to hear, but it is the truth and, you know, it just is what it is. So friends don't lie. And that means friends need to tell you that at two and six, Mike Tomlin is about to have his first losing season ever. Now, I have no reason to think that he should be canned. Anyone saying so is is just fucking ridiculous. But the Steelers need to reinvent who they are. I wouldn't rush TJ Watt back because this is a losing season and make sure he's healthy, let him take his time, that's fine. But this season is pretty much over. So according to uh, analytics, the Steelers have a 3% chance to make the playoffs. The AFC is so top-heavy right now, and the only team that is worse than the Steelers in the AFC is the Houston Texans. So to say it would be an uphill climb to make the playoffs is the understatement of the century. So Steelers fans, buckle in. I believe in Mike T. I believe in the ownership and the front office. I think they will get you guys right. What you need to be watching for is Kenny Pickett, his development, what's going on with Najee, is the situation fixable, you need to look for individual effort and see where you guys can get better heading into next season. Now, before we get into everything else, get into the schedules and the uh, all the lines and the fantasy and everything else like that, uh, new contest. We have, we have another giveaway. You know I got to hook you guys up. You know I got to take care of you. So we're going to do another awesome giveaway. Go check out our Twitter page, at RegulatorsPod on Twitter. Find the giveaway. Enter it. Very simple deal, right? After you do that, I want you to find our pinned tweet, which is at the very top of our Twitter page. It's going to have this episode that you're listening to, okay? I want you to retweet that episode, this episode that you're listening to so you can share it with your friends and then just comment underneath the episode, mount up. You can hashtag it. You cannot hashtag it. I don't care. Just show us some love. Give us a big mount up and retweet the uh, link for this, this week's episode. And when you do that, I am going to double the entries that you have for our giveaway that we have this week. Now, a couple of fun little nuggets I'd like to discuss before we get into this week's matches. There are only five teams in the NFC with a winning record. Five out of 16 teams have a winning record. That's how garbage the NFC is this year. And remember in the offseason when we were saying, oh, 
man, the AFC looks so top-heavy. Like, there's so much talent. There's so many good teams in the AFC. It just looks crazy. And a lot of people in the NFC were like, oh, what are you talking about? This is what we're talking about. There's only, we're halfway through the season, and there are only five teams in the NFC that have a winning record. I mean, whoever wants it in the NFC, whoever's going to jump out and run, whether it's the Eagles, the Vikings, whoever, like, they can really just almost coast another few weeks from now. I mean, you've got teams that have three-game leads on their division, you know, like the Vikings, and that's that's absurd halfway through the season in that division. But it's going to be very interesting to watch. Another little nugget for you. Obviously, we know the Giselle Brady divorce is going on, and we heard that Giselle asked for half of Tom Brady's passing yards in the divorce. Now, if that were to be true, she would already have more passing yards than Joe Montana if she just took half of Brady's yards. Do you understand that like Tom Brady has more passing yards than Joe Montana and Steve Young combined? Like, you're talking about decades worth of elite quarterback play in San Francisco. Two Hall of Famer guys, Brady's got more than, I mean, he's got more than everybody, obviously. But sometimes when you go over the stats, it's just, it's sickening. It's crazy. But moving on. Something we got to talk about. And mainly this is to, you know, the four-letter network and the people that like to do their little segments. But can we stop picking on white guys dancing? Like, can we just stop? Like, you know, there's there's going to come a time where none of them are going to dance ever again. It's bad enough that most white people walk into a room knowing that they have less rhythm than anybody else in that room. But now we're going to bully and mock these people because they don't do the gritty right or whatever stupid fucking dance is trending on TikTok and they're trying to do an end zone celebration or, you know. And here's the fucked up part is whenever we're trying to be fun and interactive we goad these people into doing these dances like hey let's let's see you do it let's see you do it and then oh that's horrible god you're trash like why man like why are we bullying especially grown-ass adults like why are we bullying white folks for dancing just let them do their thing man like you know if it's if it's not great it's not exceptional then it is what it is but are they having fun are they enjoying themselves then let them be man let them be. That's I'm going to stop talking about this, but it just seems to be a recurring thing, and it's just like I don't understand it. Moving on. Sunday morning, we sent a message out to all of our Patreon subscribers, and we said, listen, guys, we found one prop, one prop that we fucking love. None of the games have happened yet. None of the parlays are underway. None of, you know, unless you have something from Thursday, which we did, and we were carrying positive, so we were good. But in general, you know, everybody's bets, you know, nothing has happened yet. But we found this prop on Sunday morning. We messaged our Patreon people right away. We said, listen, we 
fucking love this. We love this prop. If you got some fucking money and you've been saving it for a rainy day, today's the fucking day. We're going in, fam. So we had Tua Tungavailoa over one and a half touchdowns, and then we tied that to Mike Gusecki over two and a half catches. Done. Easy. Like, I think we had that shit by halftime. Like, fan-fucking-tastic. So, if you're one of our sergeants rolling with us in the Regulators Army, we appreciate the shit out of you guys, and hopefully you cashed big on that one. Now, we went super hard in the paint, and thank fucking God that we did, because that covered our other losses, and we basically broke even last week because of the fucking Raiders and or the Steelers not being able to cover plus 18, however you look at it. Either one of those would have sent us home just doing amazing, but the Raiders completely shit the bed, and the Steelers couldn't get within 18 fucking points, so each one of those blew completely separate parlays that we had. But uh, we did have round robin, so we still you know, ended up doing okay with that stuff. And overall, we ended up like plus a quarter of a unit. Um, so basically broke even. But we are still up 42 fucking units on the year. We are feeling good. Again, all of our receipts are on our Patreon. All of our, you know, units that we bet every single week and you see all the bets that we bet you can track everything obviously if you listen to the podcast you get a couple of them that we share with you for free but when we find amazing value we do share it with our subscribers over at patreon so again you can go to patreon.com and search for the regulators podcast or just go to regulatorspod.com and click through find the links and there's probably even a link in this episode wherever you get this episode but We're feeling good, up 42 units, and we're going to have some awesome action for you this week. But before we get into that, trade deadline. Holy hell. 20 in-season trades so far this season, including 10 on deadline day, which is the most ever. So obviously we had Christian McCaffrey to the San Francisco 49ers for a second, a third, a fourth, and a future fifth. We had Chubb going from the Broncos to the Miami Dolphins, adding another pass rusher in that Miami Dolphins front seven. We had Jeff Wilson also going to the Miami Dolphins. It was very interesting. So Miami flipped uh, Chase Edmonds, a one. I think they threw a four. They got... Chubb and they got a fifth and then they immediately flipped a fifth for Jeff Wilson to San Francisco which that one's fascinating to me as well because Jeff Wilson spent five years in San Francisco with Mike McDaniel and the team that he just came from the 49ers the Dolphins are playing in about a month so Jeff Wilson is gonna share a little bit of inside info but additional trades Calvin Ridley to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this is one of the most fascinating trades I've ever seen. I've never seen language written like this in a trade. But Calvin Ridley, who you may remember, is suspended this season for betting on a football game while he was away from the game, not playing football. 
he bet on his own team to win a game. The bet that he made that got him suspended was on the Atlanta Falcons to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. He has just been traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But the language of this is so fascinating because it it's like a fifth-round pick, okay? If he's on the roster in 2024, it becomes a fourth-round pick. And then if he meets certain stipulations, it becomes a third-round pick. And then if he gets signed to a long-term deal by Jacksonville, it becomes a second-round pick. Like, there's so many different steps, levels, you know, throughout this trade that I'm just like, this is this is really interesting. Um, but obviously, he's still suspended. But now he is technically a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll see how that plays out. Roquan Smith to the Baltimore Ravens. Th- the rich get richer. You know, that's obviously going to be huge for the Ravens' defense. Minnesota, you know, Irv Smith, obviously he's going to be out 8 to 10 weeks. They needed a replacement at tight end. Why not go get TJ Hawkinson? Detroit said, sure, we're not going anywhere this season. Why not? So Hawkinson goes within the division for all the people who say, nobody trades within the division. Mm, it happens more often than you think. Chase Claypool. And this goes back to what we talked about in Pittsburgh. Clace, Clace Chapel, Chase Claypool has been traded to the Chicago Bears. And there's another target for Justin Fields. I don't know that not enough targets was the answer. Not saying that they had an amazing room in Chicago. But Chase Claypool will get a chance to start anew in Chicago. And as we mentioned, that will open up more targets for for um, George Pickens, that will open up more targets for Deontay Johnson, who, again, is the third leading wide receiver when it comes to targets, but doesn't catch him or convert them into anything positive anyway. But that's a whole nother tangent. Kadarius Tony, as we mentioned, to KC. <coughs> Excuse me. Robert Quinn to Philadelphia, which, again, you talk about the rich getting richer. That D-line had Robert Quinn in there. Fuck, good luck, quarterbacks. Have fun with that. Naheem Hines to Buffalo is a very interesting one. So, first off, if you have a Buffalo running back in fantasy, then prayers up. Um, I I don't know what to tell you because now you're adding Naheem Hines into that mix and it was already kind of a sordid room to begin with. That's going to be tough. If you are a Jonathan Taylor owner, however, you have to think, hmm, okay, maybe this helps a little bit. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor has not done a lot of great things so far this season, which we'll get into in a little bit. But having Naheem Hines out of the picture, even if it gets you a couple extra carries a game, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe they'll lean on him a little bit more, especially with the young quarterback under center. So that remains to be seen. We'll have to uh, see how it works out. Now, James Robinson to the New York Jets. Obviously, we talked about that before last week. Um, Chase Edmonds got sent to Denver in the Bradley Chubb deal. So he has left Miami and gone to Denver. Moss to the Indianapolis Colts. 
William Jackson to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Defensive back help there. Jacob Martin to Denver from the New York Jets. Uh, he will hope to uh, not exactly fill the shoes of Bradley Chubb, but you know lend his assistance to the pass rush there in Denver where they've been successful so far. Fenton got traded to the Atlanta Falcons. Jonathan Hankins to Dallas. Robbie Anderson, which we know about, to the Arizona Cardinals. Deion Jones to the Cleveland Browns. And Dean Marlowe to the Buffalo Bills. So those are the 20 trades that have happened this season, including, again, the 10 that happened at the trade deadline. So let's talk about how these moves are going to affect the games, and all of the teams that are playing this week. Thursday night football, we already know. Listen, you're going to have a World Series game against Houston and Philly, and you're also going to have a football game between Houston and Philly at the same time. So I don't know if it'll split the difference or if uh, one city can win both of those games, but you know it's going to be a fun, fun night if you are a Philly or Houston-based sports fan. So, Philadelphia. Listen, they stat they slapped the cross-state neighbors around last week. They were taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. They won 35 to 13 and Jalen Hurts just continues to look unfazed. 19 of 28, 285 yards, four touchdowns. AJ Brown had three touchdowns in the first half. He ended up six catches for 156 yards and three touchdowns. That's just absurd. Uh, Miles Sanders only had nine carries, but 78 yards, one touchdown. He did have 8.7 yards per carry. I always say just feed this man the rock. Just give him the ball. He's going to do special things. The Eagles had 7.6 yards per play on offense. So... Their offense is just clicking on all cylinders, and you match that with a defense that had six sacks last week, a fumble, plus an interception. Defensive tackle Jordan Davis, we know he got the high ankle sprain, so he's out four to six weeks, but they do get help from new pass rusher Robert Quinn. Definitely an awesome trade for the Eagles. He had 18 and a half sacks last season, which was second in the NFL, and... Again, the rich get richer. So, Davis Mills, you're going to be in for a long day. Now, Houston. Friends don't lie, like we said. So if you have a friend who's a Texans fan, ask them, first off, how do you lose to a team that had 50 passing yards? How, How do you accomplish this? You tell those friends that their team is ass and they should maybe start full tank mode. Davis Mills was very bad. Even with a garbage time drive and touchdown, he ended up with 152 yards, one touchdown, one interception. But before that final drive, barely had more than Malik. Damian Pierce found the end zone on that final drive, but was held to just 35 yards rushing. Houston is going to get stomped by Philly. Schmurdered. Full Bobby. Full Bobby. So, Philly is favored by 14 points in this one. 
I'm tempted. I'm tempted. I really am. I'll watch it closer till. Maybe it gets under 14. I hate double point spreads just because it's still the NFL and, you know, they could end up winning by 13 if Houston scores some garbage time. But I think Philly Bobby Schmurders. Bobby Schmurders, the Texans. Eagles favored by 14 if you want the action. Now let's get to the rest of the games. The Los Angeles Chargers. Favored by three points in ATL. Taking on the Dirty Birds. So the Chargers are coming off the bye week. The last time we saw them, they were losing to the Seattle Seahawks. Now we have to see, are they capable of beating the Atlanta Falcons? Because if not, we got to start asking some questions. I think the Chargers can handle the Falcons, but the Falcons are... They have their good days. They're not they're not often, but they have their good days. So the Falcons are in first place in the NFC South. They shouldn't be, like technicalities and bullshit aside, but you are what your record says you are, and you are what the rankings say. So you're in first place in the NFC South. Doesn't matter if you don't have a winning record, nobody cares. So, I think you should be very lucky and count, count those lucky stars that DJ Moore took his helmet off. The game with the Panthers had like 12 lead changes. Pitts was the leading wide receiver, leading receiver. I know he's not a wide receiver, but he was the leading receiver for the game. He did get in the end zone. Um, and this is why I say Atlanta has a fighting chance against the Chargers. Atlanta has snuck up to the number six offense in football. They're tied with the Seattle Seahawks. So both the Seahawks and the Falcons are tied for the number six offense in football. So that we know they can score points. That being said, friends don't lie here. And the Chargers are not anything close to a good defense. Nothing close. So mix that with Atlanta's ability to score, and yeah, Atlanta has a chance in this one. So I'm not outright saying I like Atlanta to cover the three. I'm not putting my money on it personally, but Chargers are favored by three if you want the action. Now here's a bet I am going to take. The Miami Dolphins. Boom. Hello. Oh, yeah. They're taking on the Chicago Bears. Two teams going in opposite fucking directions. The Dolphins are favored by five in this one. I told you the Eagles were going to murder the Texans. The Dolphins are going to completely drown the Bears. Like, listen. The Dolphins will come onto land and they will find the bears they will drag them out to the ocean and they will drown them now i know what you're thinking dolphins can't go on land listen they will form breathing apparatuses out of kelp and they will establish a beachhead where they can come on land 
not for hours at a time, but 30, 45 minutes, and they will aggressively stalk the bears and their families, and they will attack the bears, and then they will get a taste for bears, and they will say, you know what? We like bears. Let's go get some more bears. The Miami Dolphins are going to handle business. And before we even get to this matchup, let's talk about Chris Greer, up to his old tricks. And he said, fuck them picks. The Dolphins send a first and a fourth to Denver for pass rusher Bradley Chubb and a fifth, but then they immediately flip a fifth over to the Niners for Jeff Wilson. This makes so much sense. For all of the reasons that you already know, Jeff Wilson, five years with McDaniel, in his system, coming from a team that the Dolphins have to play in another 30 days, this is going to be like step in and go. Now, granted, he is going to be complimentary to Raheem Mostert, so don't get your panties in a bunch if you're a Mostert owner in fantasy. You're fine, but this is this is excellent value that the Dolphins got there for an added back. It wasn't working out with Chase Edmonds, so they shipped him off. Pass rusher Bradley Chubb, man, you pair him with Jalen Phillips and Agba and everything. Don't even get me started. But let's talk about the offense. Tyreek Hill is on pace to break Calvin Johnson's single-season receiving record. Crazy how much he missed in Pat Mahomes. Crazy how much he fell off. Crazy how much two is just like missing him by 30 yards. Can't get it to him. The Miami Dolphins defense last week was Swiss cheese in the first half. Got shredded. Second half came. Adjustments came. Dolphins didn't allow a single point in the second half. And fortunately, throughout that first half, the offense had kept stride the whole time. So then, when the defense showed up, offense was full gas. Two of last week. 81% completion rating, 29 of 36, 382 through the air, and three touchdowns. Technically four. You already know. Technically four. Plus the 20 yards he had on the ground, over 400 yards. Last 13 games that Tuatunga Vailoa finishes, Miami is 12 and 1. They're not losing these games with Tua. Like the. the the only people that are talking shit still about Tuatunga Vailoa aren't watching. They're just repeddling the same garbage that someone else told them that they heard on some hot jock bullshit, hot take radio line, or a meme that they saw over the summer because it's fun. Friends don't lie. So here's the truth. Here is how Tua is doing under Mike McDaniel. Passer rating, first. Quarterback rating, QBR, first. Yards per attempt, first. Completed air yards per attempt, first. What's his rating on 10 plus yards down the field? First. What's his overall completion rating, third. Touchdown rate, third. 40 plus yard targets, fourth. Sack rate, fifth. Like, do you want me to keep going? And he is the most efficient quarterback in the NFL on third and fourth down. So much so that if you look at the chart, like the chart had to be extended and keep going to 
put him on the chart. Friends don't lie. And I'm going to say something you have never heard me say, not just on this podcast, but in life. Tua is elite. Shut it down. Shut it down. Take your retread garbage-ass hot takes somewhere else. Tua is elite. I said it. We're moving on. The Chicago Bears. Last week, Justin Fields, 17 of 23. All right. Pretty accurate, it seems. Two touchdowns, no interceptions. Seems like a clean day. Only 151 yards passing, though, which does not include 20 sack yards. So 130 overall passing yards. That's not going to get it done. You know, little dump-offs to running backs and things like that. You know, it looks good on the stat line, but it's not enough. Fields was taken down for sacks four times, and that offense is just nowhere close to competent. I mean, Khalil Herbert, for, you know, as bad as the offense has been, is doing a yeoman's job and everything that he can to try to get them going in the positive direction. He was one yard shy of 100 yards last week, which I know frustrates fantasy owners who aren't in, excuse me, fractional leagues. But Fields did add another 60 rushing yards himself, so I'll give him credit for his legs where he uses them. Um, But that's just not always going to be a thing that works, where every single team you can have that same MO where you're going to run for 200 yards and you don't really have to pass. Like, yes, sometimes you can do it. But that's the difference between a quarterback like Jalen Hurts who has taken that next step where, yeah, I can use my legs, I can run, I can make things happen, but I can also make them happen downfield. So I use my legs to set up what I can do in the passing game. And that's the leap that Justin Fields uh, would need to make. So the Chicago Bears defense last week allowed 7.8 yards per play. And now you face Tua, Hill, Waddle, and Mostert. That's... That's a recipe for disaster. The Bears are also in full fire sale mode, which isn't great for morale in the locker room. You send Smith and Quinn to other teams in the past week, and you're trying to acquire draft picks for the draft. And I'm not saying you're doing the wrong thing. Hey, you brought in a whole new regime, and they're trying to get ammo because they're ready to turn this thing around this offseason. That's great. You got to do what you got to do. But for the team that still has to go out there and play that just lost a couple of great leaders on their defensive line, and you are already sus in that department, it's going to be a very long day for the Chicago Bears. Let's move on to the Carolina Panthers and the Cincinnati Bengals. Home game for the Bengals, and they can use it after dropping that game to the Browns last week. Carolina Panthers, listen... The record says two and six. You are what your record says you are. However, one extra point, one extra point goes through, and of course it's it's three and five. It's not a huge difference, but Carolina is such a different team the past couple of weeks with PJ Walker. That's why he's still the starter. Of course, he's earned it. You know, this is a guy who was an XFL quarterback, and. 
he has shown that he can, at the very least, fend off Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, anybody else in Carolina that they want to throw at him. But if the Panthers made a fucking extra point and beat Atlanta, they would be in first place in their division. So we can talk about the record all we want, but they would be in first place in their division. Instead, they currently hold the number three overall pick in next year's draft. So the dichotomy there of just going from, well, we can be first in the division or we can have the number three overall pick off of one kick, one extra point that was missed. So I think that Carolina is actually going to put up a very good fight against the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are favored by 7.5 in this one, and I like the Panthers to cover, especially because it's 7.5. At 7, I might balk, but at 7.5, I think the Panthers can do this, especially without uh, Jamar Chase and the Bengals' offense not being their usual selves. And I know that Burns and these guys are going to absolutely come after Joe Burrow. By the way, I think I said the Dolphins were favored by five in the last uh, match. But if I didn't, Dolphins are favored by five. Smash. Um, Carolina Panthers. I like them to cover the seven and a half points. The Bengals did not show up last week against the Browns. They couldn't protect Burrow. All night long, five sacks. No one was surprised. Joe Burrow has a 1.9 second pocket time, which is the worst in the NFL. So from the time they snap the ball to the time he either has pressure in his face, has to get rid of it, is sacked, throws the ball, 1.9 seconds. That's it. Bat, bat, like done. So for everything the Bengals tried with my air quotes to do in the offseason, it didn't work out. Also, Cincinnati had 36 rushing yards. Not the Joe Mixon experience that you signed up for if you drafted Joe Mixon. Chidobe Awuzi may also uh, be done for the year. It looked like he had a serious injury and that's just heartbreaking for a Bengals defense that was actually playing really well and especially on that defense the only player in the NFL with at least 20 care, twenty targets and allowing less than a 40% completion rating was a woozy. So that is going to be a huge miss for them moving forward. So all of these things coupled together, I think the Panthers can get within seven points of the Bengals. Green Bay Packers. What to fucking say about the Packers? They've lost four straight now. Yet they are still a three and a half point favorite at the Detroit Lions. And I will take the three and a half points. I think they can cover that um, because they have to. For no other reason than they have to. If the Green Bay fucking Packers lose five straight, including this one, to the Detroit Lions, it's full fire sale and. Aaron Rodgers may retire. Like, it just may get to that point. Because, you know, man, they just, they looked so bad. They looked so bad last week. And, you know, the only team that the Packers have never beat on the road is Buffalo. 
So they had a chance to complete the list, but Aaron Rodgers, 74 yards, one touchdown, and one interception with less than 10 minutes in the fourth. Those were his stats. So you're in the fourth quarter, it's less than 10 minutes left, and Rodgers is thrown for 74 yards with a touchdown and a pick. That's, that's not the Aaron Rodgers we've come to know. This team was 3-1 and one before losing four straight. Friends don't lie. Listen, Aaron, I'm going to tell you as a friend, you're under contract through 2026. You really got another four and a half years of this? I don't know, man. I'd consider my options. You could get paid the same amount of money to go be a broadcaster somewhere. It looks very ugly. But I know if there is an inch of fight left in him and left in Green Bay, which I believe there is, they're going to come back and they're going to handle the Lions. I don't know what their end record will be at the end of the season. I don't know how long it will be uh, until he loses in the playoffs. But I think the Packers can get this done against the Lions. And let's talk about the Lions. <sighs> Listen, man. Detroit fired their their secondary coach. Um Man, I, I posted this tweet on our Twitter page that just continues to age very poorly of one of the members of the coaching staff from Hard Knocks saying the 2022 Detroit Lions will put the NFL on notice. I think a couple people are getting their walking notices right about now, but they are members of the Detroit Lions coaching staff. Dan Campbell bless his heart, has won more games as an interim coach for the Miami Dolphins than he has as a head coach of the Lions. He still hasn't surpassed the amount of wins that he got as a part-time coach in Miami. The Lions jumped out to a 14-point lead twice on the Miami Dolphins last week but they couldn't score a single point in the second half. They allowed 476 yards of offense. And all that hype about DeAndre Swift coming back, five carries for six yards. They only forced one punt. Friends don't lie, man. I do not think that Dan Campbell will be the coach of the Lions next year. If they give him a third year, barring some miracle turnaround this season, if they give him a third year based on the results on the field, they are doing a disservice to the Detroit faithful. That's my opinion. Speaking of opinions, the Raiders. What the fuck, man? You had one job. One job. They're heading to South Florida to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars, and somehow the Raiders are favored by one and a half points going from West Coast-ish to Southeast. Vegas got skunked last week. Derek Carr, 101 yards, 
No touchdowns and a pick. One pick. Not enough. Not enough. And not enough Josh Jacobs. Let's fire up that train again. Devontae Adams, one catch for three yards. I feel like... I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it because friends don't lie. So I don't want to tell the lie. But I feel like... Could I get more than one catch to Devontae Adams for three yards? Mm, I feel like maybe I could. But maybe I can't, so I won't say it. But that's embarrassing. I think he bounces back this week. Fantasy owners, don't don't be too stressed out about it. I think you'll be fine. The problem with the Raiders is just they're so inconsistent. You know, Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. And usually shit when you need it. Jaguars, though. Trevor Lawrence's software slump does continue. 18 of 31, 133 yards. All these, all these quarterbacks throwing for like 130, 150 yards. Like, what is going on this year? 133 yards, one touchdown, two picks. The Jags' offense has now had 12 giveaways, which is the sixth worst in the NFL. On the bright side, Travis Etienne can make it do what it do, baby. 24 carries, 156 yards, and a tutty. You love to see it if you're an owner. Friends don't lie. So we have to have a talk, Duval. I don't think T-Law is it. He's not a rookie. I know it's his second. Last year, listen, you can mostly throw... Last year out because of the drama and the circus and whatever. Like, I'm, I'm not saying he was set up for success. But he is now in a very good situation as far as who his head coach is. Who is working with him as a quarterback. There's nobody better than Doug Peterson. And I just don't see it. I don't care if they lose every fucking game. I don't care if he throws interceptions, bad passes here or there. But I want to see this guy go 28 of 35, three touchdowns. I don't care if he has three interceptions. You know, he can go full Andy Dalton or Jameis. I don't, I don't care. I just, I want, I want to see why he was the second coming of Christ. I want to see why. This guy was the guy for years. This was who everybody had to have, and the Jags won the lottery when they got him. I don't see it. And I'm not saying he can't be successful, but I don't think he's it. I don't think he's it. So do with that information what you will. I'm not taking the Raiders to cover one and a half points because the Raiders fuck me. They fuck me every chance they get, but points are there if you want it. Indianapolis Colts at the New England Patriots. Patriots are favored by five and a half points. I feel the spread's a little large on the Patriots side, but I will take it. I will take the action um, for a number of reasons. Colts, three and four and one. They're trying to get back to 500. They're trying to do their thing. New England Patriots, obviously, they got a big win against the Jets last week. But let's talk about the Colts first. Sam Ellinger hit Pittman in stride at the end of the game, which would have given them a chance. Would have given them a chance. Um, 
but they ended up losing 17 to 16 to Washington. Sam was 23 of 31, 279 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Listen, for his first game action ever, for a guy who has never thrown an NFL pass, that's not bad, man. It's really not bad. JT continues to frustrate fantasy owner. Like, for a guy who's the 1.01 pick in damn near every league, he's not even getting double-digit fantasy points. Saints tight end Taysom Hill has more fantasy points than Jonathan Taylor. Most of the kickers in the NFL have more fantasy points than Jonathan Taylor. If you have someone who will overpay for Jonathan Taylor, it might be time to move. I know that Hines is gone, like we talked about. Like if you're if you're stuck with Taylor and you got him, then maybe it ekes out a couple more carries. Maybe you get a goal line plunge in for a touchdown somewhere. But overall, I don't see him trending up, especially with the situation at quarterback that just changed. What was interesting is the Colts fired their OC this week, which makes it even more difficult now on the quarterback because the person who's putting that game plan together during the week and who's working with the quarterback has now been fired. So now you have a young quarterback that will have to adjust to make you know, a tough situation manageable. And the irony is that Frank Reich is calling the plays, so how and why you fire the OC, especially given the situation. But, you know, maybe they know something that I don't. You know, again, I'm not privy to everything. Maybe someone was setting Sam up to fail. Maybe the Colts had their version of uh, what was that garbage-ass coach? I've had too much to drink now. Um, I'm going to get off on a tangent, so I won't do it. But long story short, um, their OC is gone. Colts are now traveling to New England to take on the Patriots. And Mac Jones got a W. Good for him. If you missed my ode to Bailey Zappi, you really need to listen to last week's episode because it was a banger. All-time banger. But Mac Jones did get the W. He is also still the 32nd ranked quarterback in the NFL. 194 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Let's not act like Mac Jones silenced anybody who thinks Bailey Zappi should be the starter because it's me. My hand is up. Bailey Zappi should be the fucking starter. So 194-1-1 isn't grabbing headlines. Jacoby Myers, on the other hand, oh boy, found the end zone again. Did what he's going to do. Hey, what to do? The run game was consistent last week, and most importantly, the defense got three interceptions off of Mr. Wilson. Belichick does well against inexperienced quarterbacks. Because of that and that alone, I think this should be a dominant defensive performance. Mack won't have to do much, which is, again, why Mack will be the starter, and that's fine, and he can probably throw for 140 yards and... Let the run game do what they do. Let the defense do what they do. Feast on a young quarterback in his second NFL game over. Game ever. I like the Patriots by the five and a half points. 
Now we move to a giant, giant AFC East matchup. I don't think this game can be undersold. If you are living under a box somewhere or you only have your favorite NFL team and you don't pay attention to what's happening around the league, I don't think you realize how big of a game this is. The Buffalo Bills are 6-1. and one. The New York Jets are 5-3. and three. If the New York Jets beat the Buffalo Bills, they will both have six wins and New York Jets will have obviously a tiebreaker over the Buffalo Bills. Now granted, the Jets have played one more game than the Bills so far, but this is a huge game, not just for the Jets, not just for the Bills, but for the fucking Patriots, for the fucking Miami Dolphins. This is one of only two divisions in football where they don't have a losing record. NFC East, AFC East. So all the teams that are involved, the ramifications of this fucking game are paramount. Are paramount. You could have the Jets move up to 6-3, and three, have a win over the Buffalo Bills, have the Dolphins and the Patriots nipping at their heels and make this just an incredibly convoluted division or you can have the Buffalo Bills move to 7 and 1, send the Jets to 5 and 4 where they're still within reach, but then now maybe you're allowing the Patriots and the Dolphins to come up and surpass, but this is the game. This is the game of the week because of all of the long-term ramifications this game will have on the NFL season, especially in the AFC. How the entire playoff shakeout will have a lot to do with what happens in this game. Let's start with the Bills first. Diggs, last week, bit his tongue. And you could hear on the tada, he be on the ta, and they were trying to tell you what. And the independent spotter fucking pulled him. They thought he was like, you know, short bus or something. So, they pulled him out. He ended up being able to go back in the game, but the criteria now for spotters being able to pull people is just getting ridiculous. If they bite the tongue, don't talk to anybody. So the spotter doesn't pull you. The more you know. The Bills look like world beaters. Unless they get caught sleeping. Unless they get caught sleeping at the wheel, they should handle the New York Jets. Shouldn't be no problem. Ain't no problem. But this division is so much fun. I would love to see this be a close game. No matter where it falls, I would just love to see these two teams beat the shit out of each other for three fucking hours and just leave it all on the field. I know that Salah will have his guys up as best he can, but listen, I mean, I expected a better game last week out of the Jets. I really thought the Jets were going to come out and beat the Patriots, but they continue to go only as far as Zach Wilson allows them to, and he is a heavy ankle weight. I would personally trade Zach Wilson for Bailey Zappi tomorrow. I'm being semi-facetious 
but I don't think it would take me that far to nudge me completely in that direction. Zach Wilson is not good at all. At all. And when you look at even the scripted plays at the beginning of the game and like how it just, it's not good. And since friends don't lie, Zach Wilson is 34th in quarterback rating. We told you that Mac was 32. So you got two teams that are doing well in spite of their quarterbacks. Zach Wilson has three passing touchdowns this season. Three and five interceptions. It's time to give him the Josh Rosen treatment and ship him out. That's my piece. The Buffalo Bills are favored by 13. That feels really high because the Jets have a good defense. They are going to play tough. I get it. The Bills, on paper, they should smoke the Jets. And obviously, if Zach Wilson is nowhere near competent, then yes, the Bills can cover the 14 points. But I'm not taking the poison. I think it's too much. It's too high. I see this being more of a... 28-20 type game. I don't know. That's just how I see it. Minnesota Vikings. 6-1. and one. They're favored against the Washington Commanders by 3.5 points. I think they can cover that. I think they can handle Washington by 4. Um, obviously, you know, with the spark of uh, Heineke coming in, you know, it changes it up a little bit, but Let's look at what Minnesota did last time they were on the field. So their defense forced three turnovers. And my absolute favorite cousin, Kirk, was 24 of 36, 232 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. The Vikings have a three-and-a-half game lead on first place in the NFC North. After seven games, they've played seven games. How do you have a three-and-a-half game lead on first place in a division that has Aaron Rodgers? House way? I don't know, but they're doing it. With Washington, Terry McLaurin. Huge catch at the one to set up a game winner last week. Scary Terry did the damn thing. Takes off his helmet on the field, just like DJ Moore did. But there's no penalty. Why was there no penalty, you might ask? Because of a loophole. The rule states that no player shall remove his helmet while on the field. However, unless there is a timeout. So, when they got down to the one, they called the timeout so that they could regroup and get the next play, and therefore there was no flag to be called on Terry McLaurin. Having said that, what a bullshit-ass loophole. I'm not saying they should have thrown a flag on Terry McLaurin. What I'm saying is DJ Moore actually scored the touchdown, got into the end zone. Dead ball. Like, now you're going to have your special teams come on, and he comes out of the end zone, takes his helmet off, he's celebrating, and then he walks back through the end zone, obviously, to get to the sideline. So he is on the field by rule. That's that's the day. But to throw that flag in that situation, 
which ultimately, you know, resulted in the Eddie Pinero missed extra point, which, oh, God, and that guy had missed like one field goal in two plus years. It was so crazy. Um, and then he missed again in a overtime, and it's just whatever. But back to Washington. Amazing play by Terry McLaurin to haul that in. Heineke played awesome when it counted. They got the W, so they do have a really good chance against this Vikings team. But especially with the acquisition of TJ Hawkinson, I think the Vikings just have too much firepower, and I think they get this done. NFC West matchup. Seattle Seahawks, 5-3 and three at the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals are favored by two. No poison for me, thanks. Could it happen? Yes. Could it also very much not happen? Also, yes. Kenneth Walker was stuffed for the most part, but I definitely think he rebounds this week. Uh, Team Geno kept the bus rolling right on down the road. They bodied the New York Giants. And now they have a chance to cement themselves as the team to chase in the NFC West. Listen, who would have thought that Geno and the Seahawks would have a top five offense at this point in the season? Um, not us, but that there be the case. So now they, excuse me, they take on Arizona, which we know has firepower of their own. Last week, Kyler Murray, 31 for 44, 326, three touchdowns. Great. But the two interceptions, obviously that hurts. The run game cannot get going in any way, shape, or form. They also can't protect the ball. The three giveaways last week and ten penalties, obviously that's just the dagger. Like you, that you can't win consistently when you have issues like that with penalties and turnovers. So DeAndre Hopkins, of course, was incredible. 12 catches, 159 yards, including that, eh, just like that. Um, 12 for 159 in the touchdown, but they lost, so does it really matter? Friends don't lie. I know you can't control everything. I'm very aware. But for better or for worse, it comes back to the head coach. Cliff is not showing me that he has what it takes to coach winning football. This has been going on for years. This is just... The way the team plays, the way he manages situations, everything that has just come to pass has me thinking I I don't I don't see it. And I don't think I can completely put it on Kyler or put it on other situations. I think that Cliff's seat is getting very, very fucking warm. We gave him a pass with the Josh Rosen experiment. Kyler Murray came in and we were like, oh, wow, that's pretty good. And then we started paying attention to once we had high expectations of what happens. Why are we let down every single year? What starts to happen to this team, especially in the back half of the season? What is going on there? And Cliff should know. He should have the answer. But right now he does not. So Cardinals fans, keep an eye on that situation. Cardinals favored by two. I don't like the poison. 
Here's another game we got. Los Angeles Rams at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, West Coast, down to Southeast. Buccaneers at home by three. Probably, probably I could see it, but I won't take it. In any other year, easy, slam dunk. Brady got the boys in South Florida, taking on a West Coast team. No-brainer. No-brainer. But, Bucks have lost three in a row. The Rams were favored last week. And the Niners said, not so fast, Kimosabi. The West is all but one. 31-14, L to San Fran. Your offense was horrible, 167 passing yards, 56 rushing yards. You didn't force any turnovers on defense. This is a team that won the fucking Super Bowl last year. Now you have a losing record, and you're looking up at these two teams that have both been in the Super Bowl the last two years. These are the champs, the Buccaneers and the Rams, consecutively. And both these teams look like ass. So which one of these teams wants this more? Which one of these teams is saying, well, we weren't a fluke. Like, this isn't just, we're not writing us off. The season's not fucking over. I want to see. I want to see which team is up for this challenge. The Buccaneers were embarrassed by the Baltimore Ravens. 24 rushing yards for Fournette. What is that? Mike Evans resurged, six catches, 123. All right. Brady was 26 of 44, 325, one touchdown, no picks. 325 is decent. The one touchdown is what it is. Obviously, he didn't turn the ball over, but 26 for 44 isn't great. But what made matters worse is The defense allowed 453 yards last week. This is a team who allowed like nine points per game through the first three weeks of the season. Friends don't lie. The Bucs can still easily win this division, but there needs to be a drastic change in this team. You need a full-on come to Jesus. Devil went down to Long Beach. What? Ever kind of brujas that you need to bring into the building, like this needs to change right now. To be 25th in offense with the amount of talent that is on this team and Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Leonard Fournette and Tom Brady, 25th? That's absurd. Bucks are favored by three. I don't like it because it's a coin toss to me. And that brings us to Sunday Night Football. The Tennessee Titans at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are favored by 13 in this one. Now, I'm going to wait to see if Tannehill plays. I'm going to wait to see if Tannehill plays. If he plays, I might like the Titans to cover 14. Maybe buy a point, see if they cover. The only other reason you say, ah, maybe not 13, is because Tennessee runs the ball so much that if they can effectively run it, they're going to slow down and play keep away from the Chiefs, which limits the amount of times that Mahomes has the ball. So maybe he only scores three or four times. Maybe if he scores three and they score once, or maybe they get a field goal as well. So that, those are the things that I look at. So obviously we're going to monitor 
Tannehill and see what's up with his ankle. But last week, Derrick Henry's last four games that he has played against the Houston Texans, including last week, 892 yards and nine touchdowns. You know how absurd that is? Anytime Derrick Henry plays the Texans, just full go. And I mean, not like when other teams play the Texans, they don't have success, but 892 yards and nine touchdowns in four games, that's ridiculous. Malik was only 6 of 10 for 55 yards and an interception last week. And the Titans said, well, fuck that. We don't need you to throw it anyway. And that's why they won the game with 314 rushing yards. Fucking bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. The Chiefs, on the other hand, they're coming off their bye week well-rested. But the last team we saw them playing was the San Francisco 49ers, and they were cleaning them off the bottom of their cleats. The Chiefs score so fast, so often. Tennessee is full of injuries. I think Casey rocks the bells. I just am not sure by how much, and those huge spreads are very, very tough in the NFL. So something to monitor as the week goes on. Which brings us to Monday Night Football. Baltimore Ravens, favored by three at the New Orleans Saints. I think the Ravens can cover the three. I think they... Let me put... If the Ravens are who I think they are, if they are the playoff team that I think they are, I I think they is, I think... If they are who we thought they were, then they will win this game and they will win it by three. The Ravens, obviously, we talked about they acquired Roquan Smith from Chicago for a second and a fifth, and they only have to pay $500,000 of his salary, so that's good. His contract is up this season, so you hope that it's not a short-term rental. Otherwise, a second and a fifth might be a severe overpay. Having said that, you can't argue with the talent. So, the Saints 24-0 dismantling of the Raiders definitely has to have you perked up a little bit like, okay. Listen, friends don't lie. New Orleans Saints, you cannot lose a game in the next month. You have to go on a run. If you have any shot of pretending that this season is going somewhere. The South is weak in the NFC, but you need to make a run right now. Andy Dalton last week, 22 of 30, 229 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Alvin Kamara, 158 all-purpose yards, three touchdowns. More of that. More of that. Keep the ball away from the Ravens, and you got a fighting shot. Now I'd like to bring you guys into the corner. We're not going to put Baby into the corner. We're going to put you into the corner. Chaz's corner. So obviously, this is our part of the show where we tell you about our four-way and eight-way parlays. Now again, I want to explain the parlay situation. I feel like I do this every week, but I just want to put as much education out there 
as possible. Where we go heavy on our bets is a number of things. Number one, when we find a prop bet, where we find one game of value, where we tell you guys, we tell our Patreon members, hey, this is the bet. This is what we love. Go hard in the paint. We go heavy on those. The other thing that we like to put a lot of our money into is round robins. Why the round robin? Because it's kind of somewhere in between a solo bet and a parlay in the fact that you tie, say, five teams together, you put it in a round robin. Even if you win three out of five or four out of five, you're still cashing. You don't have to hit every single team like a parlay. Now, obviously, if you win with all five, your payout isn't as much as it would be if you just went, bam, five-way parlay, heavy. But that's okay because we can go heavier with those round robins because we know the odds are in our favor that we're going to at least break even. We're going to at least break even most of the time. And when we do hit, we cash very well. So that's where most of our money goes into, into props, into single games where we look at the spread and we're like, no, you have to get in on this action right now. Um, But... Of course, we like to have fun with our parlays. Of course, we like to find value where we can and say, hey, let's throw something and let it ride. But again, this is where we're throwing just chump change. You know, this is just this is just something fun. So every week we give out our four-way, we give out our eight-way, and it's just something for you guys to throw some money on, watch it, and see if it hits. So let's get into our four-way. I wanted to do something really simple this week because I know I've had a couple of you say that, you know, with your four ways and your eight way parlays and things like that, that, you know, you, you'd love them to be maybe a little bit less risky, maybe a little bit less payout, but something that was um, more likely to hit. So I, I read what you said and I wanted to give you something that I thought was pretty nice. So this week in Chaz's Corner, we're going to start with a four way teaser. So that means that we're getting seven free points. Um, You know, when you look at the spread, you can adjust it a number of different ways. You can take six free points, seven free points, you know, and adjust the payouts accordingly. So what we did was we took a seven-point teaser and we put it on the following four teams. The Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Tennessee Titans. So what does that mean with the seven extra points that we got? That means the Tennessee Titans now are plus 20. So all they have to do is get within 20 points of KC, and we're good. The Philadelphia Eagles are now at minus six and a half. So they just got to win by touchdown. The Miami Dolphins are at plus two and a half. So they just have to get within three points of the Chicago Bears. And the Buffalo Bills, we now have through the teaser at minus six. So they only have to win by a touchdown. <clears throat> now this is a plus 200 bet. So if you were to throw five bucks on it, if it hits, you're winning ten. You get it, you put 10, you can win 20, you put 20, you could win 40. But that's our four-way teaser, and then we get into our eight-way. 
the eight-way parlay that we like is Indianapolis Colts plus five and a half, Miami Dolphins minus four and a half, Minnesota Vikings, Moneyline, Baltimore Ravens minus three, Green Bay Packers minus three, Philadelphia Eagles Moneyline, Arizona Cardinals Moneyline, and Kansas City Chiefs Moneyline. Now that one, last I checked, was at plus 4,800. So a dollar would bring in 48 bucks if you hit it. So that's what that is. The rest of our bets uh, we will have listed on our Patreon page. Um, we have a single game that we're going very, very hard on. We have our round robins in there. And of course, just like last week and every week before, if we find value prop bets that we like, that we want to smash, we will jump in on the Patreon page and we will share it with you guys. But other than that, I hope you guys have an incredible week. My name is Waldo. This is the Regulators Podcast. Please go find our contest. Get in on it. Lots of giveaways going on. And if you like the show, send it to somebody you care about, somebody you know who likes football. Um, and we'll catch you in the Twitter streets. Peace. Peace.